Welcome to the Underscore Transformation podcast. My name's Jason West. And my name's Joe Wales. And together we're the founders of Underscore. In season two, we're focusing on implementation and the challenges that surround making changes to policies, processes, systems, and team structures. If you'd like to know more about scoping a transformation program, please take a listen to season one. Today, we're going to talk about target operating model design. Now, this is something that you will have ideally already started during the scoping phase of your transformation. At the very least, a set of assumptions will have been made about the size, shape, and cost of your current operating model and how that's going to change as a result of your transformation. Ideally, you will have based it on some sort of benchmarking data. However, it's certainly not unheard of for a transformation program to be approved in part at least on a commitment to reduce headcount costs, but with little real understanding of how this is going to be achieved. So whether your business case is based on a detailed bottom-up cost analysis or a top-down cost reduction commitment in a business case, you should really resist the urge to dive straight into designing systems and processes until you've actually reached consensus on your target operating model design. So, Joe, let's just Mm. start at the beginning. Mm. What exactly are we referring to when we talk about an operating model? (laughs) An operating model. Um, Well, the the first thing is there are perhaps as many um, definitions as there are people selling management consultancy services around Ah, operating model. uh, um, I mean, but but it's, it's actually... Let's keep it really simple, and and it is quite simple. Um, mm. An operating model is a, a um, I guess, a collection of capabilities, and this is people, process, and technology yeah. that an organisation deploys um, to turn a vision or a strategy into a set of products and services um, that delivers, you know, a specific set of values um, to its customer base. So, yeah, um, transformation is really, and in, in, at its core. Um, the process of turning one operating model into another. Mm. Um, so your current operating model is um, is your as is, um, and uh, your desired future state, the to be, is the target operating model that uh, that you might people sort of hear um, and people refer to. Gotcha. Uh, it, it is really that that simple. Um, so perhaps so. some some people out there are trying to sort of uh, overcomplicate. Um, um, you know the, the concept of operating model, but that's what it is. Gotcha. And 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 speaking of simple, mm. uh, much like the transformation process, yeah. target operating model design is a process, and it's yeah. it's a relatively simple one at that, isn't it? Well, if you follow the right steps, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it, and it, it is it is a simple process, but you can get into an awful lot of trouble. Um, if you don't take, if you don't follow a sequence um, of, 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 of steps and that's at points, um, organizations and, and or functions can sort of jump into drawing organization charts because um, there's a belief that, okay, if we change the organization, that's the transformation that's changing the operating model. Yeah. Um, and, and really that is dangerous grounds to be in. So that's what not to do, mm. that jumping straight into drawing org charts and putting names in boxes <laughs> yes. and uh, you know, think, thinking about organization design rather than operating yeah. model design. So what is the right way of approaching target operating model design? Um, effective target operating model design really starts with understanding your current state, how effective and how efficient your organization is today. Yeah. Um, 
and we've we in previous podcasts we talked we talked an awful lot about that already, um, yes. especially in um, in season one where you're building your your case for change and you're building your transformation um, strategy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you've really got to to understand. Uh, to have answers to those key questions. So, what does what does my customer think of my um, services I deliver, um, yeah. and how efficient um, are we at delivering those services today? And we've talked about benchmarking, et cetera, et cetera, in, in previous episodes. So then there's the the piece around culture. What 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 culture do we have in and around our organization, our function? What is our strategy today? What is our people capability today? Um, and, and when we talk about people capability, we're talking about also systems, processes, um, and clearly structure has a role to play in it. You know, how do people sort of interact in within the, the, the organization, within that operating model? That is a component of a much larger set of, of activities, of components that needs to be sort of factored into when you're designing operating model. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do do not fall into the trap of uh, of going straight into uh, organization chart design and putting names in boxes because that is really not the right thing to do. Yeah. And the other the other thing to consider is um you know you're not doing this in isolation, right? It's not mm-hmm. just about the function transforming or the business transforming. It has got to be a set of business requirements that are forcing you to change. And uh, it might be, you know, gaining further efficiencies. It might be that actually external factors are in, uh, uh, putting pressure on your organization to change. And, you know, we are in a period of uh, uh, of COVID-19 now that no, undoubtedly will have a profound impact in, in organizations uh, in, in months, years to come. So these external factors are putting pressure on organizations to change. So what are those driving factors? So you've got to spend time really understanding what, what's the business trying to achieve? What are the business requirements? And those need to feed into your target operating model design. The Another really key point is... Um, you know, what's the vision for the future? And we mm. talked about this in previous episodes. Actually, I think we dedicated uh, one episode to uh, creating a vision and strategic objectives of the program, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so you've got to really have, have, have articulated um, that before you start Im- implementing your your um, new operating model. You really need to understand what is it that you're trying to achieve in the future? What are your strategic objectives that need to be delivered along the way of this transformation program? And what are the principles um, that will govern those design decisions that you'll make? You need to agree all of that up front um, yes. before you start embarking on a design of a, of a new operating model for your function stroke business. And ideally, you would have completed this as you scoped out the transformation. But if you if you haven't mm. done this already, and you've you've secured budget and you're you've uh, you know you're ready to get mm. going, then please go back and do this. Um, yes. So go back, engage the business, understand their requirements, do some benchmarking, ideally, because it gives you a baseline to work from. You know, let's let's make sure we've got an agreed vision, strategic objectives, and design mm. principles that all the leadership team have really signed up to. So let, let's take that as our start point. We've, yeah. we've done all that work, uh, which might have been before the investment decision, might have been after, but but let's just take mm. that as our, our launch point. What do we do next? So like we talked about earlier, it's a process, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> um, I think it's uh, if, 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 if um, organizations follow these, this simple process, this simple methodology, they, they'll, they'll likely to, they'll, they'll likely get it right. Yeah. It's a series of structured design workshops 
they're facilitated by someone with a bit of experience in Tom design. They need to have that to, to just guide the, the those uh, individuals through the process to avoid jumping to org charts um, yeah. and putting some paragraphs and some bullet points against each of those boxes in a in an organization chart to describe what that role is for because that that is very a very superficial design of of an operating model and you will if you don't go into the detail you will have all sorts of ambiguity and confusion further down further down the line yeah um so you start uh, as a series of um, structured design workshops. This is the way, you know, we we facilitate these sessions. Typically um, in a room we'll have uh, individuals, uh, senior, you know, members of the senior leadership team of the 2B function. Let's be honest, you know, they're people that are going to be involved in designing uh, that target state. You need to be very, very mindful of who you have in those um, design sessions. So yeah. it needs to be a selective uh, bunch of individuals. We have a very, very objective view of designing the right operating model for the business um, yeah. and not empire building, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got to be very, very mindful of that. You've got to go in with a set of principles um, when you're making these set of design decisions from the outset. And if you're unsure of whether person A or B should be in the room, if you're really unsure, perhaps don't, inv- don't involve them at the very outset. So just just that needs to be really carefully thought through. Yeah. I think the other point in terms of who, who should be involved here is um, you've got to get the process owners involved in this as soon as you possibly can. Mm. And you might not have them identified right up front, but yeah. if they aren't plugged into this and we've seen it happen in, in, in certain other in yeah. projects that we, we've um, you know, sort of reviewed, where the target operating model design was kind of divorced, you know, it was divorced from the rest of the program. Yes. And you had process owners you know, doing really great work and, and designing, you know, new solutions, new ways of working. But the target operating model design had no visibility of what they were doing and they had no visibility of what the, the Tom workstream was doing. Yeah. It, it was just a mess in the end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, um, realist, in, in an ideal world, you do um, some of the Tom design before you start getting, you know, technology uh, configured. You know, it's a, it's a real prerequisite that you do, um, Tom design before you start doing process design on on systems and and and, and technology. Um, yeah, it, because you're in danger of having to un- unwind an awful lot of it up, or more uh, more more importantly, you're in in danger of having the tail wag the dog, um, which is you know the technology starts to driving your target operating model design decisions, which is not the right thing to do. Um, yeah, in in any case. So this is a, there's a series of workshops with. A number of of stakeholders, and if you've got the process owners identified, absolutely they are um, pivotal to designing their to be state um, for the, the the processes that they'll be <laughs> accountable for. Mm-hmm. And then there's a series of sort of um, um, workshops um, with you know leaving it like a week or two in between each of those workshops as we design uh, a set of activities review them socialize them and we'll probably go into a little bit more detail on what those activities are yeah it's, it's like it is like a little bit of a gated process let's not design everything all at once to to then have it reviewed and having to redesign it again it's you do a bit of design you validate it you sense check it 
okay, are we along the right path? Does this make sense for the business? Is this hitting our business requirements, our vision, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Um, and then you go into the next level, the, the next iteration of, uh, of of design, which is probably a little bit more detailed uh, yeah. and so on, until you come out at the other side with a clear set of um, almost sort of roles and responsibilities for um, the that organization and when talking about organization we can be it can be enterprise wide uh, or it can be just for a particular function and it's very much start from those kind of bigger building blocks make sure everybody's agreed yeah they're, they're the foundations that we're working from get that yeah. signed off then the next level of granularity and then it, you get finer and finer as you you go through as the different st- stages of the yeah. design process um so that that's kind of structure mm. What about uh, content? So yeah. as we look into these uh, these uh, target operating model mm. design workshops, let's, let's talk about the first workshop. What, what typically would we include? Yeah, uh, the, the first workshop you'd you'd you'd, ident- you'd look to identify what are um, the elements or the components that will make up your operating model, um, yeah. and what do we mean by that? So um, our operating model will consist of will contain. Um, a shared service um, or a business services um, organization. Mm-hmm. Um, it will contain um, some local operations. Um, it will contain maybe business partners or centers of expertise. So at um, a macro level, um, that's what our um, organization is going to consist of. Yeah, And then you start to describe, uh, okay, um, what are the attributes uh, of each of these uh, building blocks, of these components. For instance, um, shared services will be accountable or, or business services uh, will be accountable for quality of service delivered to customers and are responsible yeah. to driving process efficiencies. They don't necessarily um, own the process um, because the process owner may sit somewhere else, maybe in a center of expertise, for instance, but they're accountable for delivering those processes seamlessly uh, and as efficient efficiently as possible. So they yeah. will have a role to play in making the process more streamlined so they can feed into the process owner and say, like, this process isn't streamlined. So that's their, their accountability is to execute those routine transactions in a routine way. Yeah. Um, whilst the process owner is accountable for the center of, which may sit in a center of expertise, for instance, maybe it will be accountable for the effectiveness of that um, process. Is it delivering the value to the to, to the organization? Is it um, uh, delivering you know, customer satisfaction, um, is it delivering, you know, increased profitability, whatever it, 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 the process owner is accountable for. Um, so at a macro level, you need to define these um, key attributes for each of your um, building blocks. Yeah, and uh, you've also got other dimensions as well, potentially, which it's really important to get um uh, on the table mm. early, whether that's a geographic dimension or a business dimension, you know, you might have a business unit view or a division view, and and things might be different at a country level mm. compared to a regional or a global mm. level. So all those dimensions need to be really thought through up front before you start heading off into the in, into the various details mm. of, you know, what's the purpose of this? What's the, the kind of key attributes of it? Um, because you can become unstuck if if you kind of design everything with yeah. a, you know, a completely global approach if, you know, there's other important dimensions to your yeah. organization. Your yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and clearly, clearly the maturity of, um, of different markets around the world will, will, 
will to a certain degree drive your operating model design as well you know it's yeah. um uh, and we you know we've we've experienced this before that you have to be mi- and you have to be absolutely mindful of that um one there is no such thing as one size fits all you've got to really be mindful of different geographies different cultures and um, and just different levels of maturity in 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 countries around the world yeah one of the other things that you need to to think about from the outset is what's the scope of your um organization what are you talking about in terms of process what are the processes that are going to be in scope that you're going to um to design who's accountable for what so maybe if your organization doesn't have a process taxonomy of of kind um use one because that allows the workshops and the design thinking to progress in a more structured way yeah. um rather than developing things on the fly um it just helps uh, it's a little almost like a checkpoint back to a taxonomy to say have we thought about all the processes and all the capabilities that we require to deliver an effective finance um function or hr function or it procurement function etc um yeah. have something like that in the back of your uh in, in your pocket because it, it'll come very very useful and then once you've got that that process taxonomy i, I think uh, in that first workshop it, you will hopefully have the mm. individuals in the room that will become your process owners so the people who are accountable for the efficiency and effectiveness of the processes mm. but you 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 can then start aligning these processes belong to these individuals these people carrying out these particular roles head of whatever function they're yeah. they're going to be the process owner for these specific processes yeah. so you start um creating the boundaries and and, and the mm. uh those really clearly defined accountabilities and and make sure nothing's kind of falling between the gaps um mm. doing that as early as you can and getting them, you know, getting getting those named individuals in the frame for for those particular processes is is really uh, really important mm. to do that as early as you can. You are listening to the Underscore Transformation podcast. For more practical guidance on business transformation, you can download our free transformation checklist. Visit our website underscore-group.com forward slash insights. Which brings us on to sort of this uh, concept of, of racy, which I think um, uh, many people listening to this um, will will be familiar with. But um, one of the things we focus on actually when in designing operating model and aligning uh, responsibility to some of these processes is the R and the A. So we tend to sort mm-hmm. of focus primarily on that so, and being being very clear about who is accountable. Um, and, and obviously that can only be one role. Um in, in the rules of race, you can only have one person accountable, but a few people responsible. So be very clear who who the who where the accountability sits um, for that particular um, area, you know, process or capability. Yeah, um, and where where a lot of organisations um, stop, which is interesting, is they tend to. Um, you know categorize a uh, an a to a to a role or an r to a role and they stop there and frankly that's not enough you've got to go to the next level of detail which is okay what does it mean in layman's terms what will the person physically be responsible physically be responsible for or physically be accountable for let's really be 
prescriptive um, and go to the next level of detail and actually start putting, you know, this this responsibility means X, Y, and Z. So yeah. that when you then later down the line, somebody raises their arm and go, okay, what have, have you thought about X, Y, and Z? And you think, yes, I have. Um, that, that sits over here for these reasons. And clearly you can iterate it and you can adjust it. Um, but don't stop at just categorizing areas of responsibility with R's and and. But that's not what we're doing at this stage, though, is it? It's really important that that happens, but that doesn't happen here. Because yeah. if you try and jump into that now, you're, it's, you're, too, too, you're, it's too early in the process. So yeah. you, you will have stepped over a number of important steps. So the, the first thing that you've got to do is, is get that matrix together that has your processes Absolutely. on one axis and your various operating model components on, another. on the other so that your, your integrated program teams, your centers of expertise, whatever it is, whatever those components are, and then populate that RACI at the very simple RACI, those 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 letters, and, and getting that kind of into a, a structure, yeah. which then you can, you can start making sense of by... Absolutely. Um, things. <laughs> in, in simple terms. Absolutely. But the point is, it doesn't. You, a lot of a lot of transformations think that that's enough. And oh yeah, that's right. think that it stops there. It absolutely doesn't, uh, because it's only of certain use that. And and actually, sense checking that mm. that racy matrix by drawing out the interactions, you know, sheets of paper. Okay. Yeah. If we if we take a focus on our on our shared service, mm. what are all the different interactions they're going to have with these different groups? How do we see that working? And just looking at that picture and just saying, does this actually make yeah. sense? And how yeah. what we've what we've written in in a in a Excel table, when we draw it out, does this actually make sense? Yeah, and it, it's more important actually for the, um, uh, the the whole sort of customer experience. What's that customer journey going to look like? If the um, you know a particular process takes somebody from three or four or five different touch points as well, you've got to just think about that. So uh, if the if the shared service has three or four different levels of of, of interaction um, with different functions, and and at the end you've got a customer that has to sort of go through a, a whole bunch of loops, it's important to bear that in mind as well. So um, developing um, intera- an interaction model is really really key. Uh, and and you, and that again, it's your first iteration of design that may well change. Um, but you've got to have that um, almost that ambition of what's my uh, to be uh, interaction model going to look like? How yeah. how are, how are my customers going to deal with? Um, you know, and the customers can be internal customers, external customers. You know, um, how are my customers going to deal with? this function um you know are they coming straight through to a shared service or are they going through a local representative first and then going to a shared service um and it's a, it's a might be a crazy point but we've seen organization design like that where mm-hmm. the shared service is really just a back office operation rather than um uh, a front office operation i.e dealing with um directly with its um customer base so yeah it's important yeah. to have those interaction that interaction model designed um up front uh, and again yeah. it can be iterated throughout as you get more clarity in your 
uh, roles and responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera. And as you evolve your race further, uh, at that point, it might become you know, clear that actually, do you know what, we've not designed enough into shared service. We, need, we might need to put more into shared service, stroke business services, that we've, we've not been brave enough with how much activity we put into uh, a business services organization. Yeah. Um, at the fear of sort of relinquishing responsibility from the line uh, and from those on, you know, from business partners or centers of expertise, whatever. So this, an interaction model really helps you shape, um, okay, this is our to be organization. And it helps you just keep that sort of framework in mind as you design your, your RACI. And I think a, a really good point to end these kind of this first workshop is where you've kind of got people diving down into the detail of RACI and then mm. up a bit looking at the interactions on how various different parts of the model are, are going to operate mm. is, is to try and bring it together at the end and create a, uh, a unified operating model on a page diagram that really mm. shows how work's going to flow through the organization at a high level and how value is going to get delivered to customers what you would typically end up with is a number of different versions of this because you typically have breakout sessions and people Mm. will work on it um and and this is kind of a good example of the follow-on work that 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 happens outside of the workshop because somebody's going to need to take those different model on a page pictures and kind, kind of take the best bits from them combine them simplify them tidy them up into a into maybe a few different options of that kind of single diagram and then go and sense check that that around uh you know walk walk them around the place get people's feedback input mm. and and uh, kind of iterate that that design um so that that's kind of often a a good uh point to aim with with the first workshop and a lot of this stuff tends to be quite fluid you can't mm. say absolutely we must get to this point in the process by workshop three it's like it, you're dealing with complex solution design here so you know the and you're going to iterate your way through it so don't worry too much if you don't get there by the end of workshop one but it's exactly it's a good objective to have so that's workshop one Mm. in the next workshop session joe what have you got for us (laughs) so uh, well first things first um you really need to review the output from the previous workshop and and any updates or, or decisions that have been made because like you talked about before you know this is a good opportunity for people to to have walked their design tested it etc um so they, they're going to clearly come back with a set of sort of uh views or as to whether that uh we're gonna, you know that that organization on a page uh, will work that the first idea of racy will work etc yeah. um and then next you really need to sort of turn a matrix full of r's and a's and c's into sort of meaningful sentences like we talked about before it's at this Mm. stage that you're really going to um to start um creating those paragraphs and this is a really important activity to to do which is perhaps um where many organizations stop and hence target operating model projects fail because they don't tend to focus on this level of detail yeah uh, but they, these sessions can be pretty tough going, can't they? Because you, you've got senior people in a room yes. and you've got them focused on a large amount of detail, which yeah. generally senior people really love. They do yeah, that, yeah. That oh, the, these are the, it, it is difficult to uh, to get um, 
individuals through these workshops. But if it was easy, I guess it would be done well all the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> People wouldn't just skip this step and start <laughs> yeah. writing job descriptions and drawing org charts. Um, it, it, it's exactly. So important. <laughs> yeah, this is this is uh, this is important, um, and it is impo- It is key to to keep that stamina going and uh, yeah, and you've got and to get the team going. motivated and focused and, and 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 actually facilitating these sessions is quite tricky and it that's is. where having somebody that's got some experience of doing this and because there will be a lot of pushback and there is yes. always a lot of pushback to doing yes. this yeah. and you have yeah, to get yeah. people to just trust the process quite yes the time. In, in an awful lot of, it is it's a leap of faith for some um yeah and it's like just trust the process because actually you'll pay dividends later on believe yeah. me uh, members of a senior management team don't don't often enjoy this particular session, but it is key that this is done. So you, they're hard going. And the other thing that you start to do at this stage is also uh, numbers, ratios of headcount. Yeah. Um, what what are the numbers of FTEs that are going to be needed? Now that you've got a, an idea of of who is responsible for what, um, because you know responsibilities will equate to effort yeah um so you you will start to have an appreciation of uh, of the number of heads that you will need um for you know in a, in a particular um component of your target operating model uh, yeah. and if you have done um benchmarking activity before um in scoping your project which again we re- highly recommend you do uh, that can provide a little bit of a uh, of a compass um mm. To, to guide you through, okay, what's the appropriate number of, of heads uh, to deliver a particular process? Are we over-baking this process? Are we gold-plating it where we don't need to? Perhaps we need to put more, you know, divert more headcount to other parts of, uh, um, of, of um, the operating model that uh, require more effort. Yeah. And having somebody on your team like as a client advisor that has access or knowledge of how other organizations have sort of um, set themselves up and uh, as an idea they can uh, uh, can help your design thinking absolutely you need to uh, you need to consider that yeah and and having somebody that really understands the technology that you're about to implement and what what that does to mm. an operation once it's live because there's a set of assumptions that you're going into this design with that we're going to be able to automate processes here. We're going to be able to streamline stuff there. We're going to need actually more people over here because this is new work that we'll be able to do because we'll have new data or insights or whatever it might be. Yeah, And, and having that uh, real kind of operational experience of, of how mm. this technology operates in other organizations in the real world can be really, really helpful yeah, in, in informing yeah. those uh, those assumptions that you're making. Yeah, otherwise, you, otherwise you'll you'll be making yeah you'll be making a whole bunch of, assum- of, of assumptions that will never be materialised. Yeah, know? it's going to uh, make the tea for us. Yeah, exactly. It's going to go out there and cure and, world yeah. hunger, and yeah, yeah, it's going to be the panacea of all yeah. all, all systems. It's yeah, be and it's going to remove yeah, it's going to remove all the human effort needed to to do things. Uh, yeah, well. Yeah. It may, may it may do elements of it, but it won't do all. So yeah, absolutely, having that expertise um, in a room will will really really help. 
Yeah. So to to recap, mm. the output of this Tom design work is going to be a diagram of your operating model on a page, uh, descriptions of its various components and how they interact with each other, uh, an organization chart, and there will be an organization mm. chart that comes out of this that shows numbers of roles, but also detailed role role profiles that describe in really plain language the accountabilities and responsibilities of those roles and, and how they interact with each other. And the documented volume assumptions and staffing ratios that you've used to calculate the number of staff that you actually need to populate this operating model. And this is what we describe as your uh, target operating model prototype zero yeah. And it's an absolute prerequisite for any detailed systems and process design. So this is the work that needs to be done prior to getting a system integrator into the room. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen too many design teams that go into these system design workshops without having these fundamental building mm. blocks in place. And the results either confusion in the room about oh who should initiate who's going to review this who's going to approve it who, who's responsible for transacting these various system processes yeah. uh, and that just causes delays yeah or you get process owners who just start unconsciously trying to build today's processes into new systems you know delays is one element but you you also can end up with with decisions just being kind of punted down the road just kick mm. the can down the road it's too difficult to figure it out here oh let's just make a decision quickly and move on because we we can fix it in a future prototype and we've already talked about in previous episodes on testing and data i think yeah. it was in this one in yeah. this uh, season just the cost associated with making design enhancement decisions late in the program when you really should be f focusing on mm. identifying and fixing defects um, and you, you're right, because you should be able to iterate and refine it as you understand the capability of the technology that's coming in, because you're not setting something in stone um, at the very outset, because the technology will will give you nuances that you wouldn't have thought about. It will challenge yeah. some of the assumptions that you've made in your FTE, for instance. Um, oh, I was under the assumption that we were able to automate all of these things. Well, guess what? You won't be able to automate. You'll need some you know, manual workarounds etc cetera, etc cetera, because the technology won't deliver the process in in a fully automated way yeah. um so that is going to to challenge your assumptions you're going to have to go back maybe um, adjust some levels of fte and maybe adjust roles and responsibilities uh, as you become as it becomes clearer and clearer about the you know how the technology will um, will drive some of your processes so this is not to say that your target operating model is design is set in stone like we talked about is not as far from it so we really refer to this stage prior to getting systems integrators into the room as tom design prototype zero and that's because it's going to change and iterate throughout yeah. um, and there'll probably be two or three maybe one two iterations of design so you go you, you develop your prototype one your pro prototype two and then once you've um, get to the end of your systems configuration your TOM will be absolutely aligned to that. Um, and then it's just a case of implementing both the target operating model and the technology at the same time, which for some individuals might be a, um, a frightening prospect, but it's the right thing to do because you've designed a set of business processes in your technology. They adhere to these 
you know, future target operating model design decisions that you've made. So you're naturally going to implement the two at the same time. And I think when you get business unit or country design teams really starting to work together, that they often end up finding uh, commonality and opportunities to align, Mm. to take best Mm. practice, to streamline. So there's one element that comes from, well, the technology can do this new stuff that we hadn't considered, so or it can't do these things that we thought it could. So that's going to adjust our, our our operating model. But just the fact of getting getting people mm. in a room together that don't normally work together and sharing good and best practice, you'll actually find that potentially your staffing ratios are going to adjust because of that, mm. uh, just that kind of sharing of, of, of knowledge. So there's going to be different forces acting on on this operating model. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it's really important to you know put the work in up front, design it, mm. but don't be precious about it. Allow... Yeah flexibility uh, to to iterate as as you go through um because one of the the real benefits of taking this iterative approach it provides early reassurance or sometimes early warning mm. uh, about the viability of your new organization and your new ways of working um and and frankly finding out that your target operating model is based on a flawed assumption it's never a good day because often that means having to go and have a a conversation with the sponsor about the viability of your mm. your business case um but if you discover it early enough during the build phase you can course correct and you can update your operating model design or you you've got time to find a solution um uh, but you know ultimately it might actually impact the payback period of your program or the the, the amount of benefits mm. that you uh, you can deliver but it's a much easier fix than discovering your process automation assumptions mm. were unrealistic say three months after go live and after you've made 90 percent of your local operational staff redundant mm. that can be a really bad time to find <laughs> yes. out that you weren't quite right on your assumptions before you get to think about your go live you really need to have worked with your hr function your hr colleagues to map out you know the company and functional competencies in, in of, of the roles um and then go through the whole restructuring process mm. um it's not something to take lightly you know this is not something you're going to do in the dark room somewhere you're going to have to have cooperation of of those individuals that are experienced in 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 delivering restructuring exercises um again you know if if the design's been done um thoroughly and uh, and everything's been well thought through you've got good, really good rationale for why you're making the, de- the decisions to your uh, organization structure your operating model that that people will understand you'll make the whole restructuring process a damn sight easier too because you will be challenged by individuals that are doing the doing on the ground that will be asking you difficult difficult questions about, okay, have you thought about this bit of responsibility that I have? And because you've mapped it in your, uh, in your race in detail, yes, you will have answers to those questions. At this stage of the, of the process, this is where you will see all of that hard work paid dividends because you'll see it come to fruition and you go, mm. okay, I now understand why Joe and Jason have made me sit through these complex workshops, detailed workshops, because when it comes to facing the whites of people's eyes and and, and giving them answers to, to to their questions and they'll have, you know, good operational questions, 
you will have thought those through way back when. Yeah, so. and uh, as you're working through that, what often ends up being a restructure, you, yeah. you've really thought through those key performance indicators for, for the roles. So when you come to do your 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 impact assessment that, that's going to quantify mm. you know, who's affected, who's not affected, how are they affected, yeah. uh, you know, potentially their... Uh, you know what? What could well be a, a restructure and a, mm. a, a reduction of roles in certain areas? It's based on really well-defined and really thought-through um, design decisions, very yeah. deliberate decisions, rather than it being a bit of a box exercise. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, and just kind of moving numbers around on a on a spreadsheet. Um, but the that that kind of HR implementation plan mm. also needs to take into account. Local country mm. legislation, trade unions, works councils, yeah. all all that side of things. You've got to really work this stuff through with with your HR colleagues yeah. because this is the stuff that can really get you unstuck if you mm. if if you make any missteps here. So uh, yeah, get, getting getting them heavily involved um, as early mm. as possible in in your thinking around your changes to operating yeah. model design really really important. You know, but you know, not all transformations will equate to to restructure. You know, no, absolutely. But, you know, it's uh, um, sometimes it's um, re re repurposing um, individuals' um, competencies at something else. That's that's also part of you know we're going to operate fundamentally differently. Yeah, in some cases, some individuals may not have the capability to do so. But in in other in other programs, it might be actually that you put a development plan in place to equip those individuals with the competencies and the skills they require for those role profiles that you've defined uh, and you know give people a period of time to adjust etc and yeah. try try those new roles out before you do something you know such as a um, launch a, uh, a restructuring exercise but yeah i mean there's a whole different uh, probably episode that we'd, we'd we'd invite a, a bunch of of, of, of um hr uh, employee relations professionals onto but it, yeah your point is important though this is uh, hr and the people function will need to be plugged into uh, any form of operating model design implementation yeah, implementation I guess. yeah, yeah. But, but to your point it's not just about moving people's roles around or, or reducing here and increasing mm. over there. It, it's also Im improving the capability to, to mm. operate in this new way, uh, therefore involving the HR function to look at things like uh, your development program that you'll, you'll mm. put around this thing. And that's something that so often gets missed is yeah. everyone focuses on the technology because that's the bright, shiny stuff. People worry about process and policies, but you know how, how are people going to operate in this new, new, new you know, mm. bright, shiny new building with its new systems and processes? Well, you know, perhaps we should do some training and some development, and maybe some coaching and things mm. like that. And frankly, that's the bit that often gets completely overlooked. Mm. So, involve HR early and make sure you've got budget to to upskill your people and support them through the change. I was really, um, yeah. you know, please do that. If, uh, if you know, <laughs> please to, to yeah. actually making this work operationally. Um, so the, the final point to mm. consider um, in this build checklist is, is the decision around when to implement mm. changes to your operating model. So yeah. Joe, when is the best time to make these changes? Yeah, good one. A good question, Jason. As with many uh, things in transformation, there isn't a right or wrong answer. Um, 
uh, nor there is a one size fits all approach. So, um, in you know, in a global transformation, for instance, some geographies might might take a little bit longer to implement the target operating model within than others. Mm. Um, and also, um, you will have made a set of desi- design decisions within your technology um, that will require certain roles um, to execute those um, particular processes. So those roles will require to be live. So when you go live with your technology, at the same time, you will need to have um, those components of your target operating model that are incorporated within those process design decisions that you've made within your technology. That has to be stood up and, and, and available for day one. Otherwise, your technology will won't, you know, fundamentally won't work. Mm. There are other components, for instance, that might you know be implemented over time. Um, so, so something that, that, like, you know, we're going to set up a shared service center in Manila. Yes. That that, that could wait um, for, for some other time. You might go before the go-live of technology. You might go after it. You might choose to do it in line. But that's, yes. that's kind of a, a separate decision, isn't it? It is, yeah. As long as you will have um, a set of, uh, I guess, as long as you can allocate the individuals that are due to perform those shared services activities in your business process, as long as you can assign those tasks, I guess, to keep to, to individuals within geographies, within countries, within business units, then your processes are going to work. Yeah. Um, that, that's the that's the key. If you're not ready to implement the target operating model uh, on day one, uh, at the, the minute you turn the technology on, who is going to fulfill? those roles that you've designed within your technology until such point as your Tom is implemented. So yeah. that's the, the the transition period, I guess. I mean, in an ideal world, you'd go live with it all at once, but it's it's not easy, right? It's <laughs> the uh, you know, target operating model implementation affects, you know, individuals, affects people personally. So it, it's something that uh, organizations will be naturally mindful of and, and rightly so. Yeah. And it's actually something we're going to cover in a lot more detail in our next checklist on transition. Mm. Um, so that that will be coming up. We had planned on publishing our, our transition checklist in the, the coming weeks. Um, however, given that events have slightly uh, overtaken us with uh, the coronavirus pandemic, uh, we thought that actually it probably makes more sense to pull forward something that we um, were, were going to do anyway, but really focus on crisis management and recovery. Because frankly, in, mm. a, in a world that's in crisis, you know, transformation is great. It's, you know, that very deliberate approach to, to making business change, but but that's not where we are right now. So um, we're actually going to um, focus in, in some upcoming episodes more on crisis management and recovery, some really practical advice uh, drawn actually from uh, the British military and applying those, uh, those processes and lessons learned to a, a, a business context. Uh, and our, our colleague Lucy Finney will be joining us to, to talk to us about that in a bit more detail. Uh, before we get to that, um, mm-hmm. we're going to complete this um, ten-point checklist on the build phase uh, with a final episode on governance uh, and control. Uh, but thank you very much for listening this week, and uh, we look forward to uh, talking to you next week. 
Uh, thanks for listening. We really appreciate your support. So this episode focused on one of 10 critical success factors in the build phase of transformation. If you'd like to be at the front of the queue for next week's episode, please hit the subscribe button and don't forget to like the show if you found it useful. If you have any questions or opinions you'd like to share, please contact us, so Joe Ailes or Jason West on LinkedIn or via our website, underscore hyphen group.com. 